0: you for this time of worship we thank you for the ability to come into your presence and we give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus name the church says come on greet two people around you before you even take your seat we're giving God praise in the house today come on the glory belongs to our God the praise belongs to him hallelujah hallelujah Praise God. These second service people like to worship. Anybody love to worship the Lord this this morning? Amen. Y'all some rude worshipers. I don't even let the singers finish the song. I'll just take over. Oh, I know this one. It's okay, sister. Don't even sing. Y'all, it says that y'all some rude worshipers. Praise God. That's good though. It's good when you can come to the house of God and just worship with brothers and sisters. Amen. And be able to to come before the Lord and just honor him with our worship. I want to continue in our series growing in our generosity. Growing in generosity. Before I do that, of course, I want to thank God for all of our first-time visitors today. If it's your first time here, you could have been anywhere else, but you absolutely picked the right place. Praise God. Welcome to Citywide Church. We want to thank you for being here today. I want to continue in our series We've been talking now for, this is our fourth week on growing in generosity, how to grow in our view, in our perspective, in our action of generosity, how God would desire that of us. And in week one, we talked about uh, how the scripture teaches us that generosity is not a destination, it's a life journey that we take. It's something that we do throughout the course of our life, no matter where we are at in our life, we we don't start when we get somewhere, we start where we're at in our generosity of our finances, our, our resources, our talents, our servitude, our time with the Lord. Amen. And then week two, we talked about setting the table for generosity, what that looks like, uh, how to be a proper steward of the resources God gave us. And if you didn't hear that, I challenge you to check it out on the podcast to really understand what stewardship is as God would require it of us. Because if we don't make a plan, we're going to run out of seed to be able to sow into people's lives. And then last week we talked about the three types of givers that we see in the Bible and in church today, in our lives. And then today I want to talk to you about the promise of generosity. What does the Bible promise those who are generous? What can I look forward to if I'm obedient to God's word and I live a life that is generous? A, a life that sows into many and not just a few. A life that sows into the house of God and to people, the people of God, to the lost people, to the friends I have, to the family I have. What does it look like when I sow into others? Many years ago, about six, when I decided to be an adult in my life, amen, When I started growing up, and I'm still in the process of growing up, when I started making decisions to change my life, I realized that as I got older, I had to manage my life different because I was in different phases of life. When I got married, I could no longer act like a single guy, amen. I could no longer call every girl hun, unless I wanted to have a permanent black and blue here because my wife chopped me in the throat. I couldn't call girls baby anymore. I couldn't do that kind of, I had to change the way I acted. I had to change. And so, likewise, when I got married, I had to change the way I handled money because I couldn't handle it no more as a single man. I had to handle it as a married man. And then when I got kids, when I I got them from the hospital, they gave me two of them over there. When I got my kids, I had to handle my finances as a father now, always leaving money for baby clothes and diapers and butt paste and all that kind of stuff babies need. Babies need butt paste. I had to really make it as good as I could. And when I first got married, I made the decision to talk to a guy who knew a lot about money. And he's my financial advisor. His name is Sean. And I said to Sean, I said, Sean, I'm poor. He's like, yes, you are. And I said, I said, how do I make sure I'm not poor when I'm old? And he gave me a book from his father. And it was a book called Whatever Happened to the Promised Land. And it was like a 12-chapter book. I was so enthralled by it. I read the whole book in one day. And I was blown away. And I wanted to meet this guy's father. And I did. And then I talked to Sean again. I said, Sean, what do I do? And he explained to me, as the book explained to me, something really simple. A simple principle. That if I took and created a retirement fund and put $100 in a month, just $100, which to me was 20 coffees. If I put, I see everything in coffees. Everything with me is coffees. My rent cost me 2,800 coffees. Oh, my God. It's 2,800 coffees I cannot have. Everything with me is coffee. You know, if I take you out to eat, it's going to cost me, if I spend 70 bucks, that's about 140 coffees. That's a lot of coffees. And so this is going to cost me 20 coffees. And so I was there, and I realized that he showed me that after 40 years, at a minimal growth rate, I can have over a million dollars to retire on. That's awesome. And so I started it, and throughout the years, I've doubled it and added to it, and I'm investing and investing and investing because I want to have a future that's secure, that when my daughter gets married, daddy can help her pay for it. I want to be a good steward. I want to be a good dad, a good father, a good husband, a good example to my church. And so I realized that I was enticed by his offer because in my mind, if I gave the minimum, I can get the maximum. And I think that a lot of times in church, with our generosity, this is our mentality. It's like, what can I do to give God the minimum in order to get the maximum? And then we say stuff like, you know, well, God only needs a little. And that's so true. That's so absolutely true. We look to scriptures like the boy with the five loaves and the few fish. And he's like, well, he gave a little bit to God. And look what God did. He fed over 10,000 people that day. And like, yeah, that's true. But the boy didn't give a little. The boy gave everything he had. And so a lot of times we have this fear of being generous or being givers or being uh, people who help others because we're afraid of what we'll have left over for self and so I want to talk to you today about what the Bible says the promise of our generosity is and we find it in the book of Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 and there's many scriptures that speak to our generosity and what God will do but this one in particular is very laser focused amen So turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, as I read this scripture written by none other than the Apostle Paul. And he writes in verse 10, I rejoiced greatly. Paul is really, really excited. In the Lord, at last, you renewed your concerns for me. And realize Paul's not being condescending like you guys have been forgetting about me, but now I'm really happy that you remember me. He's legitimately joyful that they've remembered him. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned what it is to be in need and know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret in being content in every and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, of when I set out of Macedonia, not one of the churches shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is more to be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God, Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's already blessed. But Father, as we come before your word, would you open our ears, open our hearts, reveal yourself to us, God. For only you can bring revelation. Only you can bring the opening of our hearts and minds, God. We ask you now that you would speak to us, your children. In Jesus' name, we pray. And the church says, in the scripture we just read, we are hearing from the apostle Paul. And he's giving these closing remarks ...to the body of Christ in the city of Philippi, uh, what we call Philippians, and he's giving these last-minute words to them, and in the last few words, he is giving them thanks for their support of his ministry... He's giving thanks for their financial support of what he has done across the world to sow into different churches. And he says it in verse 14, it was kind of you to share in my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only Paul's saying that as he was planting churches across the world nobody wanted to sow into his ministry except the Philippian church and so Paul is talking to a group of very generous Christians not because they were rich but because they believed in the vision in which God had given Paul to plant these churches amen And Paul, he's saying something here that's really important. He's saying to them, you know, I'm not telling you this you can give me more. I'm telling you this because I want you to know that I am grateful for what you've given me. And on top of that, even if I have a little or I have a lot, I'm satisfied in my life. Paul calls it the secret to contentment. You should highlight verse 13. It's the secret to contentment in your life. That if you have Jesus... You have everything. Paul makes it clear that he, he, Paul, is happy with who he has, not what he has. His contentment is resting in who he has, Jesus, not what he has, possessions. Don't let your possessions determine your passion. Don't let what you have determine whether you're going to be joyful for God or not. Don't let the fact that you don't have the newest car, don't have the newest house, don't let it dim your passion for God. Don't be that person that if you lose the car, if you lose the house, you lose God too. (coughs) Don't be that person with the $198 pair of sneakers that you waited in line for, that somebody steps on them and you cuss them out and lose your Jesus. Because then your passion is in your possessions. It's in the what you have, not the who you have. But how do you let your passions be in who, Jesus, that you have instead of what you have? Paul says, I have learned to be content. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strength. This is in everybody's pocket promise Bible. We claim that. Going to the gym. I can do all things. That is not what the scripture means. That is not what it means. That is out of context. It's not that you can go and and fight the biggest hit in the block. I can do all things through Christ. That's not what it means. What it's talking about is when I'm in a bad situation, Christ can get me through it. And when I'm in a good situation, Christ can get me through it. But half the time, you don't recognize or realize that until you go through a season of need. And so we, we claim these promises, not realizing that we're really saying, well, then God, give me some need so I can see you carry me through. You have to be satisfied with the who you have, not the what you have. I I remember years ago, Pastor Lori was talking about about just things in our life, and she was talking about, do you have things or do things have you? Do you you own stuff or does stuff own you? And Paul's like, "I'm, I'm not writing to you so you can send me more. Your gifts were great, and I appreciate them. But what I want to tell you is that, is that I'm amply surprised, and even if I wasn't, this is kind of as even if I wasn't, I'm happy in every situation. I'm happy when things are bad. I'm happy when things are good. I'm joyful. Why? Because Christ is strengthening me through it. Notice verse 17, not that I seek the gift any longer. I'm not seeking gifts from you, but I seek that the fruit increase to your credit. In other words, he's saying, I'm asking God that what you've already, some might say already, already. Sown, sown, comes back to you. He's saying, I want you to see fruit from what you are doing. I want you to see fruit from your sacrifice. He is praying to God and believing that God will give them a harvest based on what they've sown. Here's, here's point number one for you today. The seeds we sow determines the harvest we grow. The seeds that we sow determines the harvest that we grow. You're not going to get a harvest that you haven't sown for. You're not going to get a harvest that you haven't worked for. God's not in the business of just rewarding anything and everything. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God wants to reward your actions, not your inactivity. He wants to reward the fruit of your hands, the work of your hands, and Paul is saying, I'm believing that my God will give you a harvest based on what you have already sown. This is the laws of harvest and seed time. What you sow, you will reap. If, a, if you sow an apple tree seed, you're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna have an apple tree come up. You're not gonna have a lemon tree come up. If you sow strife, into people's relationships, and in your life, you're going to reap strife. If you sow bitterness, you're going to reap bitterness. If you sow anger, you're going to have a bunch of angry kids in your house raised up, and they're acting like, I don't know where they get this from. Look in the mirror. If you, if you, if you sow a judgmental spirit into your children, you're going to reap a judgmental. What you sow, you're going to reap. Your, your harvest is connected to your sowing. And the principle is the same with your giving financially. What you get from God, and we don't give to get, but what we harvest on this side is determined by what we sow over here. And Paul's like, I'm praying that your harvest is bountiful. Your harvest is credited to your account. And not every time that we give something, we receive something in in the same material way. Sometimes God will give you a spiritual blessing in place of a monetary seed. Sometimes God will give you spiritual growth. Oftentimes you're going to sow and then endure a season of difficulty because God wants to see if you'll trust him in the meantime. And when we sow our resources, our talents into the kingdom, we're given the promise of a harvest. God says you will harvest in your life, but your harvest is connected to what you give. Your seed determines what you harvest. What you sow determines what you grow. Paul was thanking them for their generosity. And on top of that, he's saying, not only am I grateful for you being generous... Not only am I happy that you sowed into the ministry, not only am I happy that you thought about me and you prayed I want to give, and he calls their sacrifice, their giving rather, a sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice. He says, I know. Remember last week, the last giver we talked about was the sacrificial giver? He says, you are being the sacrificial giver. I see that. I appreciate that. And I pray that God credits it to your account. And then And then he goes real crazy. Paul just acts all sorts of nuts right here. He says, he says in verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. But then in verse 19, he goes on. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I remember as a kid, I used to hear this same verse all the time in a song called Jehovah Jireh. And and all the people would sing it, and everybody would claim this promise. And my gosh, I supply almighty. Hallelujah. You're going to go crazy. According to his riches and glory. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, Pentecost. Okay, good. It's in English and Spanish. I don't do the Spanish. And people would claim this promise not realizing this promise is for those who are generous. You can't just take the Bible out of context and take any scripture you want to fit your needs in your life. You've got to put it within the framework of what the apostles and the writers were saying. And here he is talking specifically to people who have sowed. And here's what he says to sowers. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches, according to his glory. Notice what he doesn't say. He didn't say my God shall supply the vast majority of your needs. He didn't say, my God will supply 75% of your needs for you, 82.5. He didn't say, my God shall supply half your needs. He says, he will supply all of your needs. But here's point number two, God promises to supply my needs, not my greeds. Because somebody might say, well, I needed that 2016 new brand car, brand new car, and I didn't get it. I wasn't approved. God said he will supply your needs, not your greeds. Well, I didn't get this that I wanted for Christmas. God said he will supply your needs, not your greeds. Me and Pastor Carmen, four years ago, went to Africa. We went to Rwanda, and, and I remember driving down the trails to different uh, remote villages we were visiting and seeing naked kids because they had no clothes, running around and without shoes, without clothes. Some of these kids would spend one to two to three hours a day just walking to get drinking water. When you go to a country like that, it kind of puts into perspective what needs are and what greeds are. And because we're American and because we're spoiled and don't even realize that even the poorest of the poor are richer than anybody else in half these countries. And we don't realize that. It kind of flips on its head what needs and greeds are. And you begin to understand that needs are basic needs of food and shelter. Basic needs of, of, of the air that you're breathing. Basic, God will supply your basic needs as you are generous in response to the gospel. Generous in response to the vision he has giving you. He will supply your, who is he talking to? He is talking to generous people. And why? why is this promise for generous people? Because stingy people kept everything that they had that God gave them. They don't have a need for God to supply for them because they thought they can do it on their own. And so why would God supply for people who think they could do it on their own? The promise here is for the people who sow. And you might go through some hardship in order to get the promise of God in provision, but it's okay because it'll come nonetheless. We see that the provision in scripture often comes through hardship the needs are filled through hardship. We see that Job in the Bible could only be supplied his needs by passing through a peculiar experience in his life, by passing through storms and trials. But then in the end of his story, read the book, he has his needs met because he is faithful to God. Noah's needs could not be met without faith and obedience to God. Noah had a need for to survive the incoming flood. But God had to send him to build the ark through faith and obedience. As he was obedient, as he was faithful, God met his needs. Jacob's needs for survival could only be found by losing his son Joseph to slavery in Egypt thinking he was dead. Read your Bible. You have to understand that oftentimes you you experience God's provision after you've endured a trial. Going through something doesn't mean God's abandoned you. It means probably that God is hiding you. It's a place that Satan would have followed you. And so Jacob had to endure some hardship. In order to understand later on that God was was literally just covering him to hold him, to supply for him later on. Abraham's needs were not fully met, so he offered up his son Isaac as a sacrifice and God stopped him. Look at the Bible, Moses, David, Daniel, Jonah. They were all meeting their needs in the midst of hardship. (coughs) We want want God to meet all of our, our needs and our greeds, and we want everything to be perfect and peachy in our lives but in scripture it's a little bit different and God the Bible says he supplies them according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus You see oftentimes we have that wish list of stuff that we want from God God I want this new job God I want that new house God I want this I want the perfect husband I want the perfect this I want the perfect we ask God for stuff that we can't even handle We ask God for things. We pray for things that our job can't even maintain. We pray for stuff from God that the money we bring in right now, we can't even maintain the prayers we're bringing in. We ask God for the perfect spouses, but we never act or even try to be right people before God as single young men and women. You have a wish list, but God says, I'll provide your needs, not your greeds. God's not interested in what you want. He's interested in what you need. That's what God wants. He wants to provide our needs. But then, look look at what it says. He says, according to his riches, in glory. That word, in glory, it speaks towards the next life. It speaks towards eternity. That's in glory, in Christ Jesus. Meaning that in Jesus, salvation, salvation. And in glory, meaning heaven, we will have all of our needs met eternally. You may not see your best life in this world. You may not have the best time in this world. You may just go through hell here. But God's promise to us as believers is that in the life to come, every need you could possibly have will be met by the glory of God. By the provision, some people are like, well, that's just not what I want. I kind of want a really good, nice car now, and I want all the blessings kind of like now, and I want to, I just, you know, the next life thing, that's cool, but everybody's going to have the same things there, right? No, no, because the harvest is, is dictated by how we sow in this life. If you want your best life now, you're probably serving the wrong God. Because all throughout the New Testament, it talks about suffering and hardship for the believer. It doesn't talk about the perfect life. doesn't talk about peachy existences. doesn't talk about, you know, just the nice beach and sand all the time. It talks about hardship and enduring trials and tribulation and rejection and hatred from the world. If every single person loved me as I preached the gospel, I'm probably doing something wrong because you got to offend some people let them know that they need Jesus and they're headed for hell and, and we read in scripture that he says in the next life i supply all of your needs and Paul he's giving thanks to them for their, somebody say their generosity he's given thanks because they've been sowers they're sowing Then he gives them that promise. Well, what promise, Pastor? What are you talking about? He he gives them the promise that says, here's point number three. Here's point number three. The promise of generosity is provision. That as I provide for God's kingdom, for God's people, for others, for hurting, for loss, for As I give of myself, my time, my finances, my resources, my talents, as I do that. God will make a provision for me, for my needs, and for my eternity. God makes somebody say provision. Here's how we know. Somebody say, well, how do I know this? Because sometimes giving is scary. I wish I had some honest Christians. Sometimes giving is like really, really scary. And sometimes giving is like, well, if I give this, I just don't know what I'm going to have later on. If I give, you know, if I give this or if I give that, how am I going to exist? Listen to what he says again. I'll read it again. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Did you see it? Did you see it? I'm going to say it again. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So, so we know he is speaking to generous people. That's number one. We know he is speaking to believers. Any generous people here? Praise God. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. We don't want to make the ungenerous people feel uncomfortable. Any believers here? Don't raise your hand. We don't want to make the lost feel uncomfortable. I'm just kidding. But he's speaking to generous believers He says, I'll supply, my God will supply all of your needs, right, right? He'll supply supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Our certainty that God will bless, that God will provide, is that it is in Christ Jesus. And I know at a first glance that might not seem Like much, but this verse tells us how God is willing to help us, that He'll provide every need. It tells us how able God is because He's rich, and it tells us the measure or the medium by which that blessing will come. It is through Jesus. He tells us how, He tells us how much, and He tells us through who, and it's Jesus. You see, God has seen their sacrifice. As he sees yours when you give. He has seen their sacrifice in yours and God is a rewarder of those who sacrifice. The measure of God's provision is expressed in that phrase, according to. That rewarding will not merely be from his wealth, but in proportion to his wealth. Y'all missed it. It's like the richest person you know comes up to you and gives you 20 bucks. That's not a lot according to what they have. But the context of the verse in the Greek says that he'll give it to you according to what he has, in proportion to his wealth, in proportion to his blessedness, in proportion to all that he owns. Let me tell you, son, God has got a lot. And it's not just money, wisdom, knowledge, power, authority. There's greater things in finances. Open your mind. According to his riches of grace and love and mercy. His riches of wisdom. Completely powerful God that you serve. In other words, what Paul is saying is the gift and the provision that God will give you is befitting of God. Not just of you. It's befitting of God's full wealth and countenance. Who could estimate the range and the depth and the richness of our God? What conceivable human scale can we really truly measure? The God who owns the stars that our telescopes take pictures of. The God who owns the planets that we don't even know about, and we're excited because we think we found a little bit of water on Mars. But God owns it. Owns every star we look up at night. He's the original GPS guiding men by the stars while they sailed across the oceans he owns it they should pay him a royalty, I'm just saying we should sue somebody (laughs) it's God's and and the promise here is that the depth of his riches will be the the, the storehouse by which he pulls our provision from, does it mean you're going to be rich? No, God provides your basic needs And give you great authority in the spirit. Look at Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. 2 Corinthians 8.9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, meaning in heaven, rich. Yet for your sake he became poor, came down to earth and lived as a man. Just like you and me. So that you through his poverty, meaning his humanity, might become rich. We might gain salvation. See, it talks about becoming rich, not in the context of financial richness, but becoming rich in salvation, rich in eternal life for what is greater than to live forever with God. But pastor, you might say, pastor, what are you really saying? What are you saying? That through Jesus, we have everything. See, John, the apostle, When he writes the gospel of John, the the first few verses are some of the most poetic verses in Scripture. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And he begins to say all these things. But in John chapter 1, verse 3, he says that all things were made through Jesus. This is good. And And then Paul writes again in Colossians, speaking of Jesus, he says, For in him, meaning Jesus, all things were created in jesus all things were created meaning that when god spoke and said let there be light it was jesus the word of god who went out and made the light happen when jesus rather when the father was saying let there let the land be divided from the sea let this happen and the word that went from his mouth was jesus he said everything was made for and by jesus Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If Jesus is the means or the medium or the agent by which God Created All that we see in the universe, if Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth, and if all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus, if this same Jesus has the power to hold all things together, the, the Jesus that holds the earth together, the Jesus that causes the sun to rise in the east and set in the west, the Jesus who causes the earth to be on the orbit that it's on the same, he holds all things together. If my blessing and my provision is in that Jesus, then I have a certain blessing. It is a promise that I can bank on because his, his goodness and his providence and his mercy is connected to the fact that I am in Jesus. In Jesus, everything you need is supplied. The Jesus who saw the widow give the little sees me give and just like him he will see that I am sowing sacrificially and he will come back and supply all of my needs and this unshakable truth excited Paul like no other this unshakable truth it excited Paul and it's hard to really understand when you just read it in scripture verse 20 he says to our God and father be glory forever." And ever, amen. It's hard to really read into it, the way it really reads and the way it's really written. I remember, it just reminds me of Lutheran church. I I went to a Lutheran school when I was a kid. And every Wednesday, we had chapel. And and my my favorite part of chapel was a two-minute walk to actually get to the chapel building, to the church. For everybody else, it took one minute, but my legs were really little. So it took me two minutes to get there, and I was really happy to go. And then they would have all these same little doxologies and songs like, Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Hallelujah. And then they would say this one sometimes, to God be the glory. But that's just not how Paul really wrote it. Like Paul was reading it. And he was like, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and his glory forever and ever. To God be the glory forever and ever. Oh, he was so excited. He was writing this in jam. He was like, to God be the glory. He began to praise God in the midst of being in jail while writing this because Paul believed so much that God would provide. He was like, to God be the glory forever and ever, amen. Paul had a glimpse of God's provision and it provoked the praise from his mouth. He was talking to generous people who were believing God, who had sown sacrificially into a ministry. And he says to those people, if you sow into this because you did, my God will supply all. The promise of generosity is provision from God. And he was so excited that he busted out into a praise. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I bet you he wrote that with like a, drop the pen to God be the glory <clears throat> forever and ever. Every need was not met, but he still gave God praise to God. Be the glory forever and ever. He knew some people would endure some hardship, but in irregardless, he said to God be the glory forever uh, he knew some people would face some sickness, but he said to God, be the glory forever and ever. He was still in jail, but he said to God, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He didn't have his freedom yet, but he said to God, be, could you praise God even before the blessing comes? Even before the glory happens. Paul knew, Paul knew that the sacrifice outweighed the circumstance and so God's providence would meet him in the midst of his needs wherever he was at. To God be the glory forever and ever. You may be in a difficult season, but you've been sowing and the promise of God is that he will provide your needs. You may not get everything you want, but you'll get everything you some storms like Jacob but to God forever you may be like Jonah in the belly of a fish but God was sending provision to God be the glory it doesn't matter what phase of life you are in as long as you can give God a praise in the midst of your need That's the promise of God. That's the promise of God. That he will supply your every need because you've been generous. Generous in your resources. Generous in your talents. Generous in your time. For nothing that is done for God is done in vain. Every minute you spend doing God's will, doing God's work. Every last penny you give to the work of God every last dime you give to the needy the poor, the widows, the broken, the hurting everything it may put you in a place of need in order to bless others but the promise of God is that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus and if he can hold the universe together he can supply my basic needs to God be the glory forever forever That's the promise of God. Every promise of God comes with the provision of God. That if you are generous in whatever God has given you, your abilities, your resources, your finances, your time, your talents, that if you are generous, that God will supply your needs. Whether small or great. Maybe God will supply that need by giving you a a good job to work. It's not just going to come by you laying up at home. He's going to give you the opportunity. Maybe maybe it's going to come through you having an opportunity to go back to school and switch from jobs to a career. It might take you four years five years, six years to finish school. But you know what? God is going to do it. He's going to strengthen you through it because the opportunity comes from Him. (laughs) Generosity opens doors. It doesn't walk you in. Generosity opens doors for God to be able to move in your life and to be able to bless you and provide your basic needs. And as you sow, you will reap and like Paul we're going to have those moments where it comes to God be the glory forever that's right that's right and the moments where you feel like should I be generous you should just be generous and then see that God will supply your need and you're going to have one of those Paul moments in the middle of a hard time where you can say to God be the glory for Somebody's getting it. Somebody's getting it. You might go through hardship. That's all right. Paul, I'm telling you, Paul was still locked up as he wrote this. And he was mad excited. And Paul was out a place where he was excited about somebody else's blessing. He was like, you guys, you, you guys are going to be so blessed to God. Be the forever. And, that's God's. Type of joy for you, that you can be joyful for others who are being blessed. We've been talking about growing in generosity, and as you grow in it, you're going to see that God will give you more and more opportunity. You're going to see that although you may endure some hardships, although you may endure some tough times, you will recognize and realize that God will supply your every need. God will supply your, doesn't matter what you're going through God will supply your every need is that for everybody? the answer is no it's to people who are generous it's to people who are believing God trusting God you gotta take the Bible in context and I know something that as I have sown God has sown back into me that I might sow into others I'm believing God every day of my life for my basic needs trust in God I got no other choice and Paul was excited Paul was excited because he had a trust and a firm faith in God and he says this faith is because it is anchored in Christ Jesus who holds all things together including me tell somebody next year he's holding you together now tell the other person you've ignored tell him he's holding you together too turn around and tell somebody behind you he's holding you together could you could you could you just touch three people and tell them he's holding you together he's, he's holding you together he's holding you together maybe not he's holding you together you just just encourage somebody tell them he's holding you together A step further I'm trusting God for the salvation of my children he's holding me together I'm trusting God for the salvation of my grandchildren to come he's holding me together I don't just trust God for money I'm trusting God for my spiritual growth he's holding me together you pray for people. He's holding you together. And to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Come on, lift your hands. To Heavenly Father, you see every hand that is raised and you know every need among us. Every need among these people. Spiritually, financially, emotionally, needs of salvation and families. God, only you can do it. But as we have become a church of generous people, sowers, God, that we start small or start big, that you would look on us, God, and you would begin to meet our needs. As Paul prayed, God, I pray now that those who have been generous in this church, that it will be credited to their account, God, that you begin to move in their lives that they would have an assurance of your provision that they would have an assurance that as they stretch you will meet them right there God I pray that as you even mend marriages in this room today Lord as you bring hearts back to you through our generosity God that we won't lose sight of why you called us to be generous God But that like the Philippian church was furthering the ministry of Paul, God, that we'll realize that our generosity is furthering the ministry of this church. It is helping the hurting and the broken, God. And right now, God, we give you honor and we give you praise and we give you thanksgiving for we know you are a provider. Would you take the next 60 seconds and just praise God for your provision that he promises you?